just a hair past 7 o'clock, and it's time for the most informative hour of your week. It's Ira on Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here. Sean McGregor chiming in as well. And we have so much to discuss as we're really beginning to see the culmination of not only NCAA football, but uh, we've got the NFL kind of culminating on its own, even though we're only six weeks into the season. This will be an exciting show. Plenty to get to tonight. Ira joins us as always. Ira's not here. Um, Ira, I believe you're on the the wrong or the losing end of a seven-hour drive each (laughs) way today. So, Ira, we'll start off every show like we always do. Where have you been? Well, it was a very, very busy week. Saturday, I was at the uh, Michigan State, Penn State disaster, and then I drove all the way to Cincinnati. I've never been. I've been to about 25 of the stadiums, and I haven't been to the uh, Bengal Stadium, which I should have. The Steelers played them every year, but I never, I never attended a game in Cincinnati, so I, I wanted to make this game. But it was a tough one to make because the Penn State game ended at 7.30, and there's two hours to get out of the parking lot. And then the Steeler Bengal game did not start at four; it started at one. So it was it's tough. And, and Cincinnati and State College are about eight hours apart in driving, so it's very difficult. Uh, you know, Ira, I want to talk more about the amenities in Cincinnati. I've never been to Cincinnati, the city. I've never been to the stadium, so I want to hear more about that. But it's funny, you you know, you brought that up about two hours to get out of just State College. It wasn't that difficult getting into Cincinnati. Tell us about it. Well, it was interesting. When I, when I drove in, I'm using Waze. I, I try to get to the game about two hours before at 11. As I'm driving in, I, there was no traffic. I mean, there was zero, zero traffic. It's like driving in West Palm Beach at like 3 in the morning. I mean, there was not a car. I, didn't, I was afraid, wait, did the game start at 4? I had to keep <laughs> checking where my directions are. Was I going to the right stadium? Was there a different Paul Brown stadium on the other side of Cincinnati? Was I going to show up at a high school football stadium or something? And I didn't see cars. I didn't see traffic. And literally, I, got, I was driving down a road, and then I just went into my parking lot. It was like half empty. And the parking lot, the guy goes, well, you have about a five to ten minute walk to the stadium. And I'm like, five to ten minutes? I'm, I could see it right there. It was, I was parking literally next to the stadium. And uh, there were people tailgating, but there was no enthusiasm. There was no energy. Um, as, as everybody knows, I've been to a zillion sporting, sporting events. And this was a four-in-one Bengals. I mean, they're in first place. And you just didn't get the excitement that there were a lot of tailgaters out there. Um, the stadium's in a weird, it's on the waterfront, but there's warehousing around it. So where I parked was in like a parking lot of an abandoned warehouse. So it wasn't really that interesting to park around. There were not bars around the stadium, but there wasn't even a lot of tailgating around the stadium. A lot of roads were around. So there was just no atmosphere, no vibe. I just didn't get the sense. So no one playing loud music. It was just, you know, very much like I'm going to a high school football game, maybe. You know what, that's... It's interesting to me because I would never have thought that, especially, you know, the only AFC North stadium I've ever been to is Heinz Field, and it's probably the coolest atmosphere you're going to find around. The way it's situated on the on the river and the tailgates going crazy starting at like, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. Everybody's out there. I thought Cincinnati was kind of a big sports city. And you're right, Ira, they're four and one. And you said that just wasn't that much excitement, I guess, around this team. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been to the. I've been talk about the AFC North. I've been to the Brown Stadium, crazy outside. I've been to the Raven Stadium, Baltimore, absolutely a madhouse outside that stadium. Mm. Uh, outside the Bengal Stadium, it was just relaxed, like we're going to a concert hall. It was there was no excitement at all. 
Um, and the stadium's nice. I mean, it looks, the Ravens Stadium, the Brown Stadium, Bengals, and Heinz Field almost were all built around the same time, so they look the same. They're very, they're huge stadiums because they're, uh, this one even looks bigger because it's set up higher on a, on a platform almost. But um, it was, it's a pretty stadium. It's nice, a great amenities in the stadium. But just again, there was just no enthusiasm. Well, that's what kind of took me a little bit off guard, Ira, is, you know, talking about this team, you'd think with nice amenities. I understand when people don't show up for teams that don't have a nice stadium. You're better off watching it on your couch. But you actually like Paul Brown Stadium. And it's just weird. You know, you related it to me on the phone earlier about going to a Dodgers game where they're kind of filling in in the third inning. This is an AFC North rival match with a 4-1 team. Yeah, like, (laughs) Ira, how did it go down like that? Well, I mean, considering that Tampa Bay, I was at Tampa Bay a month ago, much more excitement at Tampa Bay. When the game started, the seats were filled. The game started in this game, one-third filled. I, I thought there was, now by the time, by the end of the Crazy. first quarter, it was all, mostly it was all filled. But I could not believe that there was nobody, when the Bengals ran out, people booed them. Because there was about all the Steeler fans <laughs> were there. So say 20 to 25% of the stadium was Steeler fans. So they're booing the Bengals as they're running out of their own stadium because there were no Bengal fans actually there. And I had Bengal fans that were there coming, and I said, like, where are you tailgating? And they go, I'm leaving my house now. And they, were, they didn't get to the game before the middle of the first quarter, and these are friends of mine that were Bengal fans. So it's, very, it's like, wait, the game's only three hours long. Like, I like to get there when it starts. <laughs> <laughs> it's 7.15. You're listening to Ira on Sports. It's 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. All right, Ira, let's talk about the game. Um... You know, a, a late Antonio Brown play and some good play all game by Juju Smith-Schuster gave you guys this win, but it was a little bit close for comfort, at least in my opinion, as a you know someone looking at an AFC North matchup. How did you take in Steelers-Bengals? Well, I think the game, I, I think there was a lot of factors. This, at the, in the fourth quarter, when the Steelers were losing 21-20 with a minute to go, it was almost, it wasn't like a season-defining, it was almost a career-defining drive. Because if the Steelers lose the game, fall to 2-3-1, two, and one, two and a half games behind the Bengals with only 10 to go, uh, maybe out of the, probably out of the playoffs, I mean, this could be the end of Ben Roethlisberger, the end of Tom, the end of everything for the Steelers. Good point. So this was a really, the, the whole, this was a major drive. So this wasn't just like winning a game, a nice drive. This was, they had to save the season, really saving, not saving Ben's career, but extending it longer. So it's not, we're not playing games in November that don't mean anything. And a lot of pressure, but the Steelers came through with just an amazing uh, victory. And I, I, it, was, it was a great game. It was tight the whole way, um, 14-14 at halftime. And uh, the Steelers in the second half, I felt, well, I think the Bengals in the first half, there was a mist. It was raining the entire game. Yeah, bad and weather. The, the chance of rain was 15%. Well, that 15% was for three hours because it, it wasn't this pounding rainstorm, but it was wet. It was, pouring, it was pouring down rain for three hours. And the receivers in the first half, I think the Bengals had four or five drops. A.J. Green had drops. Boyd had drops. And the Steelers had a couple drops, too. But you could see that the, people, the, the players were slipping. Uh, it was just hard to run, but, uh, but after 14-14 in the first half, in the second half, the Steelers got out to the lead, got a field goal, made it 17-14, but they had first and goal at the one and had to settle for a field goal, and you hate that. And then in the fourth quarter, they had first and 10 at the six, and again another field goal, make it 20-14. And then that Bengals, I mean, the Steelers defense had played well all game, but the Bengals drove down there, and with a, uh, they had first and 10 on the Pittsburgh 11 with a minute 24. And I was listening to the game on my radio as I was watching the game. And the announcer kept saying, don't give Ben time. If you score a touchdown, which they're intending to do, don't give him time. Well, A.J. Green ran out of bounds. 
He could have stayed in bounds, forced Steelers to, to use, a, uh, use a timeout, and then they scored on the next play. So it was almost a situation where they could have ran out the clock on the Steelers, but instead they scored too fast, giving the Steelers a minute to go, a minute 18 to go. And uh, it wasn't like the, the Steelers got it on the 23-yard line, a minute 18. Juju Smith's sister had two balls, caught two balls, and then it was like third down on the 41, and the Bengals got a holding call. And that gave mm-hmm. the, it was third down. It was going to be third down yeah. play, but the Bengals, it was, it was, it got, Steelers got a reprieve. But then they got it down to another pass to Juju to 31, and everyone was worried about maybe the Steelers, a field goal would win the game. So Boswell, the kicker for the Steelers, has been totally a mess all year, missing extra points, missing field goals, and you were really going to have the whole season come down to like a 50-yard field goal from Boswell. But then Antonio Brown and Ben definitely had connections this game where they talked about the Wi-Fi. I could see Antonio, Ben waved Antonio to move him in the slot. Then Antonio like, was, kick, was touching his hip. And then Ben touched his head. They were just signaling to each other. Next thing you know, five-yard pass yeah. across the middle to Antonio Brown, and he was not going to be stopped. Yeah. Like they, he, was, he was going to that end zone, and with no time left, they scored the touchdown. Well, there was like five seconds to go when he scored, and the Steelers were able to, they got the two-point conversion. But it was just a tremendous play. I've never seen this. The Steelers were so happy to win. Steeler fans were going crazy. Uh, just a great win. Just an overall amazing win. Well, let's talk about this from an outsider's perspective here. Iris, Sean LaGrega here with us as well, 719. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. You look at this team, and, you know, Sean, I think you'll agree, and Ira, you will too, and I'm sure we'll hear more of the Homer side from you in a second, but the Steelers were definitely the favorites to win this division. They're a game back, and almost a game and a half, considering it's, you know, one in the tie column. They're not blowing people out, though. I mean, you look at the Cincinnati Bengals and the Steelers, they're both plus 16 and plus 17 on the season. Nothing remarkable. The Ravens are plus 76. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they've also shut out Tennessee, and they had another game uh, week two w- where they shut out you know a bad opponent. So, Sean, the outsider looking in, do you think the Steelers are the team to beat, even being in third place in the AFC North, after a statement win against the Bengals? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, and the only reason why they're in third place uh, is because that tied to, to the Browns that you know they should have had that game. And and with that, they're three and three and zero on the road. If 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 that tie doesn't happen, you know, on paper, obviously they're the most talented. I think the the Bengals are playing above uh, uh, their talent level. I think the Ravens defensively are special, uh, as you see by the the, the point differential um, and what they just did. You know, eleven sacks against uh, the Titans, but I, I just don't trust that off. I think they're playing, you know, above uh, their talent level. And at the end of the day, I mean, it, it comes down to talent in this league. And when you look at that division, uh, Pittsburgh's been that team that's been able to 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 just go out and kind of steamroll these teams. It's always going to be a tight race. They seem it's, to catch a November it, run yeah, every year. Exactly. And, and the way they play, it's almost rem- reminiscent of NFC East football, you know, where these teams kind of, yeah, well, they just kind of <laughs> no, just beat, they, they beat each other up. Um, you know, so, so every game is, you know, is a close game. Um, and the way they play defense, run the ball. Um, I think with Connors really, I mean, Connors playing unbelievable right now. I don't even know that, you know, the reports or bells, you know, hasn't even showed up. He was supposed to come back. You know, at this point, I don't even know. They're saying he's not expected to even show up this week. Exactly, and and I don't even know if they they really need him. I think even though Connor, you know, has come out and he's 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 played phenomenal. I mean, this was really a statement game for him as well. Uh, and you know, talking about that connection where I was talking about, and he kind of just hits his hip. I mean, that play was you know drawn Beautiful. up, and, and they knew where they were going. They knew exactly what they were doing. You know, and and and, and ends the game. And you know, if if Ben can play that way, uh, you know that he that he showed that he can do. Uh, you know, especially on that last drive. 
five. I mean, the composure, everything. Um, I, I think Pittsburgh uh, is definitely going to win this division. Ira, let's let's talk to you here because this is your division. You know, we're looking at it as outsiders. If I were you, I would have been, like Sean said, I think the AFC North and the NFC East are the two divisions that beat each other up worse than anybody. I'm never guaranteeing a win for any team in that division. It was a hard-fought game. Cincinnati was the division leader coming in. Ira, did you expect to win this game? And also now, do you think that the Steelers are the favorite? Well, it was it was interesting. This, the Bengals announcers were calling this an exorcism because the Bengals have lost <laughs> so many games to the to the to the Steelers that were just key games. So they felt like this was a statement game, and and, and you could see the Bengals were so deflated after the loss. Um, I did like the fact that the Steelers. I think what's happening to the Steelers is they first of all Ben looks healthy. I think he was hurt in that Cleveland game. He mentioned a little bit about his elbow, and I know he complains about a lot of things. But before this game, I get there early. I get there an hour before. And he usually was, you know, warming up. He was throwing real long passes. He, there was extra zip on the ball. He was throwing the 50, 60 yard as far as he could throw. And he wasn't doing that the last couple of games. So Ben looks like his elbow seems better. Their line is playing great. They, they, ben was, I, not, I don't think he was knocked down, let alone sacked the entire game. The Steelers on defense, their line played great. They had three sacks and six tackles for a loss. So... I, and then the, I think Joe Hayden coming back. He was the former All Pro for the Browns. He was he's hurt been a the first couple games, guys. but I think he stabilized the secondary. Um, Artie Burns is awful for the he's Steelers. Awful. He is just um, <laughs> he gives up touchdowns every time. But I but Hayden made a big play after big play, um, and I think the linebackers are playing a little bit better. So the defense still gave up that touchdown to the Bengals in the fourth quarter, which you don't want to have happen. But but for most of the game, the line was dominating, and, and really both off, the offensive and defensive line. And I also liked how the Steelers started using their tight ends. Their tight ends between McDonald's and James, a very good um, player. 14 catches for 130 yards. Yeah. So they're getting you know Juju catching balls, Antonio Brown catching balls, Connor running well, and throwing to the tight ends. Um, if they wouldn't have the, you know, those uh, red zone difficulties with the two field goals, they would have had two more touchdowns. So, um, but this is the, if the Steelers play their game, they're going to win this division. They just have to play how they should have played from the start of the year and not stub their toe. You're listening to Iron Sports. Still to come, Major League Baseball is in the full swing of the ALCS and NLDS, uh, NLCS, and we're going to talk about what we think each team needs to do and what player needs to step up to really take this over to the next level. Also, NCAA football might already have decided their final four, but we've got some interesting quirks on that. Um, Ira, you, you've been on this show hating Vontae's perfect for years (laughs) as you should, because he's just the guy who he's a total jerk and he plays in your division. What did Vontae's perfect do Ira? And do you think he deserves a, a suspension or at least a fine for what happened in this game? I think Vontae's perfect. I, I compared him to, uh, he must have this special pass. Like, when the, in the National Hockey League uh, Institute, you have to wear a helmet. There were a couple players, like Bobby Nystrom, who, who played forever, that had long hair. And so there was a couple players for, like, 10 years that, that played without helmets. So everybody else had helmets. He had a helmet. The way the NFL was called, when you see these ticky-tack roughing the passer penalties, when you see Clay Matthews just touch a quarterback and get flagged, 
And then you see how Vontae's perfect plays, and you're watching him play like this, and it's like he can play like they played 20 years ago. He has free reign to do whatever he wants. After the play's over, he's punching a player. He's going after Juju Smith-Schuster and, uh, and pushing him. He, and then the play on Antonio Brown, where another defensive back had Antonio Brown wrapped up, and he was just bringing him. It was almost like a wrestling move, professional wrestling move. And Burfick runs across the field with his elbow right into Burfick, right into Antonio Brown's head. Now, it's in the middle of the field. It's not hidden. It's not a play. And Brown had the ball. And the refs, no call, no penalty. I mean, you watch the video. His elbow went right to his head. Yeah, and it's yeah. like perfect. Like, we're not going to call any penalties on perfect. He can do whatever he wants. He's given free reign to play. Like, everyone in the NFL has to play a certain way. They all have to play with, like, flag football. But perfect is allowed to play, like, Jack Tatum, George Atkinson, like, <laughs> those games. That's unbelievable he doesn't get. I don't – he's like Teflon, Vontae's perfect now. I mean, before he was getting some penalties, and he got fined. But now he can just do what he wants. And uh, and Brown was, was, hurt, was hurt, went off the field, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's done for the game. But he only missed one play, came right back, and then made that. But if say Brown wasn't in that game for that final play, then the Steelers would have lost and never had that amazing play at the end of the game. Yeah, I, I would fully expect that he gets uh, some sort of a suspension. On, on top of the elbow that he threw to Brown, I mean, there was two two other questionable non-calls where you know he was t- targeting and leading with his head. I mean, and this is a guy that went undrafted with first first round talent out of uh, Arizona State because of character concerns. I mean, yeah. this is this is a repeated. You know, uh, um, you know, guy that that has these dirty hits on his resume, and 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 only comes out even worse when they play the Steelers. I mean, it's like every single time, you know, the Bengals play the Steelers, and this guy's in the game. You know, when he's not suspended for targeting or, uh, uh, um, you know, taking performance enhancing drugs that he's been caught with. Uh, you know, this is this is who he is. So I think in the new realm of what the NFL is trying to uh, portray themselves as, and how they're trying to clean up the league from these hits and protect these players. I fully suspect, I don't even think it'll be a one game. I think he'll get a two or three game suspension because the elbow to Brown was just uncalled for. But then tack on, you know, even if you combine the other two for a game, you know, I, I think he gets a two game suspension because they really need to, and, and it's almost to a point where, you know, like the three the three strikes and you're out that baseball has when it comes to performance yes. enhancing, they have to put something in place, you know, for th- hits like this. He's on 12th strike. Yeah, I know you can, you know, you look at the Clay Matthews hit from a few weeks ago. Michael Bennett had a really questionable one, uh, you know, on Andrew Luck uh, when they played, I think it was last week. Um, you know, so, so it's there are a lot of ticky tack stuff, but when you see this and you can go back to it, the NFL has to put their foot down and 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 suspend this guy and say, hey, you know, you do it again. This will be your third time being suspended for for you know for for roughing or whatever you want to call it. You're done, and, and, and that's what has to happen because this guy is just out of control. He's beyond roughing; it's cheap shot artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's the point. It's just out of control, yeah. and 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 nothing's going to do it until you start hitting this guy's wallet real big 729 it's ira on sports mike and sean are here as well this is the true oldies channel um speaking about pathetic and not looking <laughs> good let's talk about my new york giants um talk about giving the eagles some kind of confidence boost because i think the eagles are are a pretty bad team this year defensively after losing frank reich uh to to indianapolis ira this was not a pretty game the giants the score doesn't reflect how bad it was they lost by 20, and it, <laughs> it was worse if you actually watched it. Ira, if you're the Giants' front office, what are you going to do? Well, 
I, I think the Giants front office is worried that, that they still have a job because yeah. if you listen to New York <laughs> next week, we're going to have Spencer Ross. We had Spencer on a couple, about three months ago, yeah. and he is the former Giant announcer, Yankee announcer, and has really good connections. And I talked to Spencer today, and he's going to come on a week from now, and I think he's going to give good insight in terms of of what's happening. I mean, Dave Gettleman was brought in to be the general manager uh, of the team, and Fritz Schirmer was his guy that he wanted to be the coach. And clearly, this is not working at all. Um, they drafted Barkley when everyone said draft a quarterback, uh, and they didn't. They didn't look good. I mean, Barkley. It's amazing. Barkley looked fantastic. People are saying he had these runs that were. I mean, just he had 13 carries for 130 yards and a touchdown, and they still get killed. Um, so there's no denying that Barkley's fantastic, but they really don't have the team and the defense around him. And the Eagles have Eagles didn't. And it's not like everyone's saying the Eagles look fantastic and they're clicking. It was like the Giants are just playing poorly. And, uh, I agree 100. Uh, terrible loss for the Giants, and uh, that now they fall to one and five. And you know there's still hope. I mean that division is still a 500 division. We said before eight and eight might win it, so they're not totally out of it just yet. But it doesn't look good. And then you have Eli Manning factor, and people are. And Fritz Schirmer said Eli's still the quarterback. Um, but we'll see what happens as the season goes on. And they don't have a young quarterback behind Eli Manning. So I was just going to say, there is nobody to bring in. Fifth rounder or sixth rounder from Richmond. Yeah, the, <laughs> you really, it's either you stick with this guy and ride him to the grave and hope that, like you said, Ira, I think everyone in the front office is scared. It's You hope that there's some kind of uh, leniency from the Maras to keep them around another year, which I think they will. This this team, this franchise is not quick to get rid of people, so I, I do think Shermer, Gettleman, they'll have plenty more time to go, but things need to turn around. Sean, you being a Cowboys fan, I'm sure you were just reveling in this loss. Um, for, you <laughs> well, know, not really. Giants. I was rooting for you because I didn't want the Eagles. I'm as not worried should, about the Giants. I'm worried about the Eagles. But you, you know, you're on the same page as Ira, yeah. where as Barkley is a generational talent. Yeah, he's amazing. But there's nothing else that they can do to win, yeah. and the defense for this team is awful yeah. compared to what they were you know two years ago at Landon Collins as a rookie this was a top five defense yeah and they've just taken steps backwards and backwards Sean if you're the front office for my New York Giants what are you doing I mean obviously you got to draft a quarterback next year um for sure I, I I think the biggest mistake was because you went out and you had to pay OBJ because how old he was what his talent level is and at least if you got a quarterback this year he could sit behind Manning, let Manning take the lumps. You invested in Solder. You invested in a second-round pick on the offensive line. You know, at least a rookie could learn from a guy like Manning, uh, you know, on how to prep, how to be a pro. And then going into year two, he gets a couple starts because you're not going to be that good. So then he ends the year with whatever, four or five starts, gets some playing. But then there's the optimism going into next year. Right now, if they draft a quarterback going in, now all of a sudden, OBJ's his second year into his contract and he's going to be playing with a rookie quarterback. He's playing with a two-time Super Bowl quarterback now, and he's not happy with the quarterback play. He's going to be happy with a rookie quarterback uh, that, I won't, that, the that, time. that won't be able to go through his progressions because he's a rookie. I mean, it, it, it to me, it's kind of mind-boggling. And I thought the pa- talent pool is a lot better in this year's draft than the, the, than the upcoming draft. I mean, even though there's going to be yeah, some no. first-rounders in there, that's just because that's the nature of the beast when it comes to draft time. I think by taking Barkley, yes, generational talent, but you're also kind of setting him up to fail because he's one for five right now. Every fifth play is when he breaks one, and that's how he pads his stats. I mean, he had two plays, I think, over 50 yards, and he finished with 200 yards. I mean, he got 100 yards on two plays. I mean, there was one week, uh, you know, I forgot what it was, but he had one 60-yard run, then he had 13 carries for if five If you took out yards. the one run, he was that's averaging it. a yard a carry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so 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 when you're looking at what this Giants team is, and, it, and it's all over the place. I mean, Janoris Jenkins is not the same guy. Eli Apple's been up and down. I haven't 
haven't even really Olivier seen. Olivier like, Vernon's basically dead. Yeah, I haven't really even seen anything from Landon Collins that showed me he was, you know, the defense, uh, a potential defensive uh, player of the year, whatever it was, three years ago. He invested $200 million into that defense, and, and they're one of the worst defenses in the league. I mean, it, it, you continue to make wrong decisions at the top of the draft. This is what your product is. And you're setting yourself up. I, I would be surprised if, if, if OBJ, OBJ continues this course that he's taken if he's on the team not next year but the year after i, I mean i think so yeah I, I would have to assume that they would trade him and just kind of do a complete reset speaking about the giants defense yeah when it comes to point differential there's only three teams that have given up more points than them as far as they what they've scored crazy buffalo Oakland and Arizona. So this is not the company you want to be in. Ira, uh, since I'm oh God, I'm so disgusted with this team. Let's move on to our Miami Dolphins versus the Chicago Bears. Um, this was a weird game, yeah. and it was a last minute. And you know, there's all the memes online. Oh, Ryan Tannehill seeing Khalil Mack suit up. Like, you know what? My knee hurts. <laughs> I can't go out that's there today. Funny. We know that's not the case. But Brock Osweiler, Ira, looked pretty good. Well, they so didn't funny. win so the game. After the but... game, the Steeler game ended, and the Dolphin game had just started the overtime. So you're, you're everybody. So again, I like when I when you get a, uh, sitting in the club, you can go out and see. They have big screens of all the different games in the club section. So I watched the whole overtime. But it was um, when I see Brock Osweiler, I'm like, wait, is this a replay of a game like two years ago, or like what's he doing? Like what's he doing out there as as the quarterback? And I saw his stats that he played the whole game. Um, but uh, a tremendous win for the Dolphins. I mean, again, I think the Bears, uh, the Bears defense, again, it, I look at this game like the Jacksonville game, which we're going to talk about in a second, that uh, it used to be good defense trumps uh, good offense all the time. And now suddenly in the NFL, uh, your defense, even you can have the best defense in the NFL, but it still can be scored on. And that's what happened with Jacksonville, and I think the Bears defense too. The Bears were saying, okay, now our defense is back. We have the greatest defense in the world. And then the Dolphins go and they put 31 on them. So I think that was, uh, I think it was sort of one of these statements is that if you don't have an offense that can go match, and Trubisky had a great game. Three hundred sixty yards. Oh, he's yards, looking more touchdowns. and more legit so after a if I'm a Bears fan, year. I'm still happy that I'm now seeing the emergence of Trubisky. He's going to be the franchise quarterback. He seems to be the real deal. And uh, as a Bears fan, even though he lost the game, every game that he plays like this, I think it's a good sign. You know, Ira, I think you, at least in my opinions, I think you nailed that. Like Mitch Trubisky is finally, not, I don't want to say finally, he showed some some glimmers. But, you know, when the Bears traded up to pick number two for him, you know, a lot of weight is on his shoulders. He's looking more and more like an NFL quarterback every week. Yeah. And, and I like the Bears for that, and the defense doesn't help. Our chief of master controls is John Carp. He's a Dolphins fan. Your eyes lit up when we started talking about uh, Tannehill. So <laughs> what are you thinking as a Dolphins fan are we moving on here from Tannehill, or you know, what's your take from this last game? It's really hard to say because, um, as well as Osweiler did, he do- he doesn't he's not able to pass as far as Tannehill is. Tannehill's still the better quarterback of the two, so I think that the Dolphins are going to keep him for sure. Because, but the question still out amongst me and everyone else in Dolphin fandom is: Is Tannehill our quarterback? And that's been a question we've been asking for the last four or five years. No, that that seemed that's one hundred percent the question that you guys have been debating. He had a four thousand yard season, yeah, through thirty touchdowns. That was three years ago. He's an ACL tear removed from there. Sean, outsider looking in. If you are the Dolphins, you think you're looking to move away from Tannehill here with a Brock Osweiler, pretty big win. 
Well, I mean, I mean, that's up for debate. I think you still go back to Tannehill. It's the old, you know, you don't lose your job over an injury. But in terms of the future, I think this is Tannehill's last year. Maybe not completely under I center, agree but, with you. but I think they go out and they draft a quarterback next year because you know what you're getting. I mean, it's the same thing when we, if you look at Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, he'll give you, he'll show you flashes, but he's not a guy that can carry you and take you there. There's been some talent uh, around him. I mean, they had a pretty decent offensive line a few years ago. They had, you know... Running backs, the receivers. Kenny Stills is is a very underrated guy. Extremely yeah, underrated. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's completely underrated. I mean, Albert Wilson has showed up and, and played extremely well. Grant has played uh, ex- extremely Devontae well. Devontae Parker, their first-round draft I mean, pick, even is when the they had Jay Ajayi. I mean, he had, what, two two games where he rushed for over 200 yards. I mean, in the defense, their secondary was was one of the best, uh, you know, a few years ago. Um, Rashard Jones is probably the best safety in the league that no one knows about. So it, yeah, when, exactly. you, when, you, when you look at the team, I mean, there are, there is talent there. You know, and he's just not elevating that talent. And when you have speedster guys, especially at you know at the wide receiver position, the Parkers of the world, even though he's injured, but Kenny Stills, uh, Tannehill's biggest knock is his deep ball accuracy. I mean, he's not an accurate quarterback. You can't win in this league if you're not an accurate quarterback. So I, I think that you go back to Tannehill for this year because you could maybe get a, a, a wild card spot. I mean, they are what three and one or four and one. Um, you know, defense is playing pretty well, better than anybody thought. But I think next year moving forward I think they have to go and find a, another quarterback for, uh, for their future they're four and two after the three and0 open yeah. I mean the, the team's winning games it's just not going to be easy um let's move back to the NFC East era and let's talk a little bit about Sean's Dallas Cowboys you know a lot of people are talking today Dallas Cowboys are three and two there's not much going on in the division that's anything better than them Ira do you think? that the Cowboys, after a big, big win over Jacksonville, should be considered the favorites to win the NFC East? No, I think the Eagles are still favorite. I mean, they're defending Super Bowl champions, uh, and the Cowboys have been inconsistent. They're 3-3. Three and three. I, I think this game, I don't know. You know, this was, a, this was the interesting statement game that I watched after, after the Bengals-Sealer game, so you could see it. But um, I think it's more a statement on the Jaguars. Wow. I mean, everybody thought after the first couple weeks that this was the – the AFC was theirs. They beat the New England. They were rolling. And now to have two losses in a row, uh, giving up 40 points to the Cowboys. You know, their defense is supposedly so amazing, but they gave up 40 points to the Cowboys, who seem to have no offense whatsoever. Um, this is a statement on Jacksonville. Jacksonville suddenly now not this dominant team. And uh, the questions on Blake Bortles just keep coming and coming and coming. Uh, and you wonder, nationally, they're attacking Bortles. I'd like to see in Jacksonville what he's getting in terms of the pressure, but there's a lot of uh, issues with that team, and I don't, I, I don't know if Jacksonville can get out of this free fall. You know, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, how that's working, because I have to assume, if you're in the Jacksonville front office, there's a phone call put in for Teddy Bridgewater already. You have to be at least kicking it. Even Ryan Fitzpatrick, you probably, you know, kick the tires on him. This loss... It, you know, granted, I didn't think Jacksonville would let up 30 points to the Chiefs, and they are probably the best offense in the league. But, I, you know, coming in as the reigning AFC, you know, uh, second place and having the best defense in the league last year, I didn't think they'd be letting up 40 points to the Cowboys. So, Sean, we'll talk to you. Do you okay. think you guys now, after blowing out what is a a playoff caliber Jacksonville Jaguars team. You think you're the favorites we're, in the East? We're winning the Super Bowl after this game. No, uh, I'm just, of course you <laughs> did. No, I already hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's still the Eagles' division. I just think that 
that the Eagles aren't the team they were last year. So it leaves us the chance to catch up. And I was I said at the beginning of the year when we when we talked about the OTAs and I said this defense has a chance to be special. Now I'm not saying that shutting down Blake Bortles is 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 a crazy um you know is, is a tough task, but They've only played better and better. Jalen Smith is looking like the top five pick he should have been more and more. Leighton Vanderesh, our first round pick from Boise State, is the highest rated rookie in the league right now, according to Pro Football Focus, above Saquon Barkley, who's been unbelievable. Yeah, um, 200 yards from scrimmage. So, so even what, what my biggest takeaway from this game was the play of the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. We lost Travis Frederick uh, to the illness in the beginning of the year. He's a guy that helps Dak Prescott. He, I mean, he helped Romo. He called out blitzes, and that was his job to lose him and and put in your swing tackle Joe Looney uh, to center. I mean, we couldn't protect Dak. I mean, there was a few games he had more than six sacks, you know, for, for two or three games. Jacksonville didn't touch us. I mean, he, he they didn't touch Dak. Now, there was a few times he had to run out and scramble, and, and I like Linehan because he's kind of saying, hey, getting some design runs in there, running that uh, that, that that type of uh, run-pass option uh, that we've we've been doing more, and we're seeing that offensive, uh, the, the offense spark, and, you know, Michael Gallup had a, big, uh, a few big catches. Uh, Tavon Austin's been thrown into the mix more and you're really starting to see us showcase Zeke game in game out so to go out and do it you know is Jacksonville as good as they were last year no but to go out and do what they did when they did it they have Washington coming up next week then they go on their bye they they, they have Tennessee those are two winnable games you're supposed to win right there yeah. right there those are two winnable games and all of a sudden now we're back to five and three and you know uh and potentially leading division at that point with the following game against the Eagles so this was a must win uh for us and and they went out and, and they, they proved a lot of naysayers wrong in that game in my opinion Ira let's uh first of all this is Ira on sports true oldies channel Mike and Sean here as well at 743 so I Ira, you kind of brought me to my next question. I don't want to call it a sophomore slump because I'll call it the sophomore success slump. You've got the team, the Jaguars, who nobody thought anything would come of, went to the AFC Championship game. You've got the Eagles, who nobody thought anything would come of, won the Super Bowl. Who do you think, so far through six weeks of this season, is having the worst sophomore success slump? The Jaguars or the Eagles? Um, the Jaguars, because I think the Eagles' excuse is that they had a quarterback was hurt, and where the Jaguars really, this is their team, um, and they feel now they did have a couple injuries to defense, on their defense. Um, and, and, and I think you're seeing in the NFL, especially I'm noticing on some of these teams that if you just lose one defensive player, it somehow affects everything. Sean Lee for the Cowboys, Ryan Chazier for the Steelers, losing that key player has, a, has just a detrimental effect to the entire operation of the defense. And, uh, but I think the Jaguars, because they, they really are a win now, right now team. That's why they kept Bortles. And if they're three and three and they played so poorly yesterday, uh, again, it's a week to week season. But, uh, that we talked about when they beat the Patriots that they had home field advantage for the AFC and the AFC title game is going to be in Jacksonville. Now it doesn't look like it's going to be in Jacksonville anymore. The, you know, the daunting stat for me, I, is Jacksonville's minus 17 on their point differential. Yeah. Whereas last year, they must have been plus 120 <laughs> by the end of the season. Seriously, they're winning games by 10. They're holding teams to eight points yeah. a game. They're, 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 they're not doing that this year. And Blake Bortles can be blamed for everything when it comes to scoring points. Not when Dallas, who is coming in with the, you know, 31st ranked quarterback, drops 40 points on you. That reflects on your defense. Something to be said about that. Uh, Let's keep going. Um, Most impressive performances from week six. There was a lot. A lot of people stood out, Ira. If you had to pick one player, team, who impressed you the most this week? I want to talk about the the Patriots-Chiefs game. And I feel feel that 
Uh, Mahomes coming back, losing. They were down 24 to 90 through two interceptions. And uh, I guess I was most impressed by Tom Brady because I think he's the greatest quarterback of all time, and Easy. I can watch him play like that. It's just it's amazing how he was able to even hold on, and they held on to win 43-40. And uh, I was impressed with that game because I'm in, a, I'm in, of course, play fantasy football, and I had won. I won the I won. I won my game, my my week against my opponent, but I had won the entire league when uh, Antonio Brown. I had been on my team and Antonio Brown. So when they threw that touchdown pass at the end, that was like a double touchdown plus the yardage plus everything. So I was really happy. But another team in our league, the only person that could actually catch me, has Mahomes and uh, and Hill. Tyreek Hill. And so I'm, you know, I'm watching the entire game. And I'm like, we're gonna pick up points on him. I'm at 160. Nobody is within like 100. And the next guy scores 120. I have this wrapped up. This is great. <laughs> and that play for that 75 yard pass play, when the same team, when the team has Mahomes and Hill on the same team, that's worth like bonus points and touchdowns. 24 and points total. It was probably. like a 50 point play, a 50 point fantasy play. And I was reading somewhere where someone did say it was one of the, the most uh, important fantasy players in the history of fantasy football in terms of one single play. And, uh, but they hung in there, and the Chiefs have absolutely no defense, and the Patriots' defense is still awful. But um, it's just, I think the Chiefs, I mean, these other teams, if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to outscore them. And now that the Patriots' offense is clicking, very few teams are going to be able to keep up with the Patriots and Chiefs. Hasn't this been kind of Andy Reid's M.O., though, with KC? He inherited a good defense. They they kind of let that wane off. And then you see Alex Smith coming in going 13-0 and some years <laughs> on, on the back of them scoring a lot of points. Sean, most impressive performance, team, player, what, did you, what stood out to you this week? Right, obviously, I, I can look to the Cowboy game only because I watched every single snap and, and what it meant to that team and, and, and you know, w- the way the division is shaken out, but we spent a lot of time on that. I'll go to the Steelers. I mean, to win the game on the road against Cincy, um, you know, where the game was up and down, and for Ben to have that drive and A.B. be the one to catch it uh, and kind of put to bed any issues that, you know, are underlining that, you know, people are making assumptions on, that was, you know, Ira kind of brought it up, kind of like a like a legacy-defining type of, of game right there. You know, if if they don't win that game, then it then it's all everything. They need Le'Veon Bell and all of everything that's been kind of been talked about, the division uh, in, in terms of the locker room and Tomlin doesn't have have control of the players. All that stuff comes back. They spend Good another yeah. week talking about that. Le'Veon doesn't show up, so then it's, oh my God, at the end of the world. That was a game they needed to win. They won it. Ben played like the Super Bowl uh, Hall of Fame quarterback that he is. A.B. showed why he's the best receiver in the game. Juju Smith is an emerging superstar. If he's he's not a already, number one. I mean, he's, un- he's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he made three I mean, he made three or four catches where I was like, He wow. outshined Antonio. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. He, I mean, he, he is amazing. He's an athletic freak, so uh, I just thought it was a big win for the moment and what it meant for this week in terms of them going to the media and, and just kind of what a what a 180 uh, uh, that one play did for for their upcoming week. It's 7.48. This is Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. We're going to switch uh, gears to baseball in one second, but first, we're all big fantasy guys here. I know you've got your fantasy team as well. Ira, who are you using your waiver claim on this week? Because I don't know if there's a glaring superstar to pick up like we've seen maybe the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> well, considering that I'm playing... Uh, uh, Steelers. I mean, I have I have uh, Connor and I have Brown and I have Juju and Ben. So I have all Steelers. I I've been trying to. I think if you come this week, I I, I don't think there's. I mean, Ish Smith. Like the question is, 
no one really on the waiver wire scored a lot. Uh, the, the backup running back in Atlanta starts. To, looks like he's getting some touches that people didn't think he was going get, to get before. Um, so Ronald Jones looks like he might be carrying the ball in Tampa, and he's on a lot of available on, in most leagues. Uh, some of these rookies that they're, they're trying to get into the mix. Um, I, it's just I, I would say some like a running back like like uh, I would say I would say Ronald Jones is still available and I think that Tampa Bay might start using him instead of Peyton Barber even though Barber had a, had a good game. Sean, what about you? Waiver claim? Who are you taking? I'm going to stay on the same team, but I'm going to go Jameis Winston. I mean, this Bucks defense is awful. Jameis Winston <laughs> comes back. He's 30 of 41 for 395, four touchdowns. You're going to have to deal with the interceptions, but he's going to have a lot of opportunities. And guess what? When you look at that receiving core, I mean, it could be the best in the league. Mike Evans is a true number one. Deshaun Jackson is back to playing like he was when he was with the, the Eagles. And then you have uh, Chris Godwin, who's really showing up. You started to see, you, you know, he just mentioned Peyton Barber. Okay, well, Peyton Barber couldn't do anything. He was drafted as a as a low-end one and yeah. RB2 in, in some fantasy drafts. Guy couldn't, you know, get anything going under Fitzpatrick. All of a sudden, 90 yards rushing, uh, you know, when when the defense is scared of Jameis Winston's arm. So, uh, you know, not saying that I think he's a great quarterback, not saying that Tampa Bay is going to make some great run, but in terms of fantasy, in terms of opportunity, and you go and you look at some guys that were drafted ahead of him. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, Russell Wilson has played Absolutely yeah. awful. Deshaun awful. Watson was drafted as like you know a top five quarterback. Alex Smith, you know, coming off almost an MVP type year. If you were a guy that drafted Dak Prescott, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that went kind of high that were drafted to be your number one that are not doing well at all. So I think Jameis Winston owned about fifty seven percent of leagues. He's out there. Pick him up uh, if you have one of the quarterbacks that I named. It totally my strategy always in fantasy. I want receivers on bad teams and running backs on good teams. <laughs> exactly. Because they're the ones who are going to get work in the yep. third and the fourth quarter. Yep. Let's switch gears to baseball. 7.51, Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. By the way, checking in with uh, tonight's uh, NLCS game already. Milwaukee on top of the Dodgers. Walker Bueller, they're supposed to be. Next, Clayton Kershaw lets up a uh, double to Ryan Braun, who scored Christian Yelich, who could be your MVP of the National League. And Ira was on top of that a couple of months ago. Ira, yeah, everybody. <laughs> Let's talk. Um, we'll get into all of our teams in a second. But Ira, these Yankees, you were there, I believe, um, you know, you know, for one of these games. They look like kind of a disaster, especially when faced, you know, facing against a team like Boston, who just outclasses them in every facet. What would you do if you're Brian Cashman, the Yankees GM? What do you do this offseason? Well, they they got to figure out the pitching. I mean, it was weird. They have all the parts, but on like Monday night, I was like, we did the show, and I had to go down to Miami for an event. I actually met uh, Dennis Rodman and Hulk Hogan, so that was pretty cool. They were very nice. That's awesome. And I'm driving like, I'm gonna, but I was mad that I was missing the game, and I'm like, well, if I get down there, I can watch some of the game. I can whatever. And we're driving down, and it was it was it was three one, and uh, they're like in the game, and but Severino is just again, the, the, the Yankees are putting everything. That's our ace. That's our star. He he is now. In two playoff series, just not been the superstar. And he had three innings, seven hits, three runs, uh, and then and then they bring Lance in, Lynn in the fourth in the fourth inning, and he yeah, gives up with the base loaded a starter, and that's what. And then Chad Green so suddenly a lead that was three zero became ten zero, and they're they're down uh, they're down ten nothing, and the game is over. Uh, how you can let a game like that? I mean, that's Aaron Boone to let you cannot get blown out in a game when it's when the series is one one and it's best out of five. 
Like he had to do everything to stay in that game. I mean, you, I just don't understand how he let go of that game and how the Yankees couldn't, couldn't, stay, couldn't stay with him. And then again, on Tuesday, Sabathia just pitches three innings and gives up three runs. And Porcello, who's not the best pitcher in the world for the, for the Red Sox, he pitches five innings and gives up one run. Now, they came back at the end, and my friends who were at the game thought it was amazing. In the fourth, in the ninth inning, when Kimbrell, the lead was 4-1, the Yankees put men on, you know, scored two runs, made shot. it 4-3, yeah. uh, got bases loaded. But still, Kimbrell came and closed them out. But the Yankees have got, uh, the, the, the trade was to DeGrom. They have got to get a front-line elite player, and it's not Severino. And he might look good some games, but I just think they need, they have to get an ace uh, pitcher and that's gonna that's the number one priority and they have the money to pay for it so they just got to get the right one. I think more of the issue is that people don't come on the market that are in that, that <laughs> position. Um, yeah. I think the Yankees would throw any uh, you know amount of money at a Chris Sale yeah. if he came up or a Corey Kluber. They just don't come to the market and that's going to be the tough part for them. Severino yeah. did open up the season ten and one. He's only twenty four. Yeah, no, and he's taking leaps time. and bounds. I mean, he's he's definitely taking leaps and bounds, and he, and he is. He's twenty four, so I give him a little bit of a uh, of a break there. And I think what you know, where we're talking about what Cashman needs to do this offseason. I mean, in terms of bats, they're looking at Machado or Harper. Harper's bat is made for the Bronx. I think they got to bring Hat back. They're going to look at uh, Patrick Corbin and the D backs. Uh, Apparently, da- that's already like a da- done deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas Kukul, Yankee killer for the Astros. I mean, they got a lot of money that they got to spend on on all those great players. He's coming up. I'm sure he's going to draw some interest. I. Think think you know when you go to the pen they got to bring Britain back uh Robinson's a free agent I, I think they retain him if they can't keep one of those guys Andrew Miller ex-Yankee for the for the Indians he's a free agent um but I think one thing that no one's talking about and I think no one's talking about it because when you look at the contract but Kane Kershaw can opt out he's got two years 65 million left now the reason why I think he could opt out is because he's Entering, he'll be 31 entering next year. Yeah, he year. wants an eight-year deal. He now. wants another eight-year yeah. deal with the injuries. He knows if he waits another two years, he's not going to get it. And and the way he's put, the way he's been out for multiple games for the past two or three seasons due to the back injury, yeah. he has not performed in the postseason. He's looking at it as like for me to get another long-term contract at eight to ten years. This is my shot. I think he could opt out. And if that happens, where you're talking about one of those top-end guys. You know, and I'm not saying it's happened. I'm just saying if if he's looking at you know where he is with his injury history, that could be a play right there, and 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 the Yankees would certainly open up the checkbook uh, to go get a, a Clayton Kershaw type player. Uh, you know, maybe it's just me being a Yankee fan, but he would look so good. Oh in my stripes. god! <laughs> let's go. Seven fifty five. Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Uh, let's go through this kind of quick, guys. Um, we'll run down each team. You know, there's a lot left in this season for the four teams that are left. It's one and one in each series. So, Ira, of the teams left, which player do you think is the most crucial for their team making the World Series? Let's start off with Boston. It's probably, you know, they've got the biggest names out here maybe. Who do you think needs to perform for Boston for them to make the World Series? Well, it's, I mean, they're middle of the lineup, Betts and Martinez. I think if they're hitting, but the, 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 the Red Sox have got to – do what they did yesterday, which is just even even when Price pitches terrible and they give up four runs, but they're able just to pound these other teams in submission. They're able just to get men on base, hit the great home runs. I mean, they they can score. They had one of the greatest runner differentials in 
Major League history, and they really just need to keep hitting. And so when their pitching is just, when they don't have sale pitching and they're not great, they can win games. They're the one team, and the Astros too, but they can, they can, they, they're going to have to out-hit the Astros. They're just going to have to win a game like 12-9, 12-10. Yeah, you're right. And, yeah. and, uh, and they, but, they're, but if uh, Betts and Martinez don't hit, they're not going to win those games. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You know, by the way, David Price makes a million dollars a start. Oh, my God. To go out there and be 0 a and mediocre 10. Mediocre baseball player. He was 0-10 in playoff appearances leading into that game. That's crazy. Sean, uh, what about you? If you're Boston, who needs to step up? I think it's Chris Sale. I mean, for giving being Chris Sale, being one of the best pitchers in the league and only giving your team four innings, uh, you know, ain't going to get it done. It's two earned runs, uh, you know, four walks, five strikeouts. I mean, that's not a Chris Sale performance. Now you're seeing, you know, he went to the hospital. He's got a stomach illness. We don't know exactly what's going on there. But, you know, if, if this team's going to, you know, go places, I, I think Chris Sale, it's going to be on Chris Sale's back. The bats will carry him, but they, they do need their ace because David Price ain't getting you there. Ira, you, you know, you were touting Houston months ago, th- saying that they're the class of the AL, and you're not wrong. Who do you think, though, needs to make the next step to make this, um, you know, to put this series out of reach? I don't think it's the next. I think Verlander has to have another yes. good start, and if they could pitch him for if he needs another start. But I think right now Verlander looked great. I know he pitched only six innings, but I think uh, I think that if Verlander gets another, it's one one. Uh, if they, I, I think last night was a weird. Cole pitched poorly, but I get you get another win out of Verlander, maybe another two if he has to go seven. But he's the key guy. I mean, he's the best pitcher in the series among a lot of good pitchers. He's the best in baseball right now, and he's the most postseason. He's great in the postseason. If he can do light, if he can shut down the Red Sox, the Astros, their lineup's going to hit. I, 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 I expect the Astros to win this. Uh, in four and five, I mean, I, that, I think that I think they're gonna. They're, I think the Astros are gonna win the World Series. They're gonna win this series and win the World Series. I'm hoping as well because I hate Boston so much, but it's just so hard to count these guys out. Let's move to the NL, Ira. You, you're a big Dodgers guy, maybe not a Dodger fan, but you're in LA all the time. You go to the games. Who needs to take the next step for the LA Dodgers to make sure they make the World Series? Well, I mean, it was. If you can remember, the weird thing about Kershaw, he's had such postseason not success failures. Mm. Uh, and, and and he looked good because in the last series he pitched he's pitched well so far in the playoffs. So you're looking for a great game in game one, and he has a, a reliever Woodruff hits a left-handed home running off him. It's also like when Adams for the Cardinals hit a row. I mean, it was like he hit the ball and he was in shock. Everyone else was in shock, and Kershaw looked like in total shock. Like how did this happen? <laughs> when you let a reliever, and I think that set the tone for the first game, and then Kershaw they end up losing six five, but. I mean, he's only had, over the last two years, Woodruff has had 27 at-bats over two years of playing, and he hits a home run off, off Kershaw. And uh, the Brewers used seven pitchers. Their starting pitcher only had two innings. Uh, Hayter came in and pitched three innings. Uh, but um, I think if they can use – Hayter looked like he was lights out. And I think if Milwaukee can somehow use him more judiciously, not put him in for three innings, he seems to be able to have uh, the Dodgers' number. But the Dodgers have so many players. They use their bench well. Um, Machado's on that team. I mean, this is a this is a this is a seven game series. Yeah. So uh, for the for the for, but uh, it's a, it's a tough one. This is a real. This is gonna be a great series. Yeah, I, I I agree with I. I think uh, I think Kershaw has a step up. I mean, three innings, six hits, four and runs. I mean, giving a, a home run up to a reliever. I mean, he's the guy where we talk about you know you need an ace. We're talking about the Yankees. They need an ace. They need to be able to trot a guy out and get a win. 
I mean, Clayton Kershaw needs to be that guy for the Dodgers. He needs to be counted on for two to three wins every series because he has that ability. And for whatever reason, he can't tap into that when he gets to the postseason. So, um, you know, I, I think without a doubt, it has to be Kershaw has to step up. Let's move on to Milwaukee. I mean, a team that nobody was putting in the NLCS to start this season. Nobody knew Christian Yelich would put up the numbers that he did or that the you know the Josh haters of the world would take the step from back-end reliever to <laughs> you know Cy Young caliber down the stretch. Ira, if you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan, who needs to take the next step or just overperform to get to the World Series? I like to see Kane step up their leadoff hitter. I, I think yeah. that Kane, uh, I think he causes, uh, he's one of the few guys that has speed on the bases uh, that other teams don't have. I think he's dangerous. You saw what he did when he played at Kansas City. It changed their um, team like without having him. Yeah. I think if he, he can sort of disrupt the Dodgers and, and uh, if he gets, I think, and I, and I, and I think if he's able to, to make some, get on the bases, steal some bases, uh, score out from first base on doubles, I think that's going to that set the tone. So I, I think he's really going to have to to play well the rest of the series. Shawnee, what do you think? Christian Yelich needs to hit 19 home runs? <laughs> or you, you're looking at someone else no, here. No, uh, I'm looking at Yelich. I mean, going into this game, game three, he's one for eight. I mean, he got on base with a Terrible walk. He scored, he's, yeah. he, scored the, he scored the run, so they're up one nothing uh, at, at the end of the first, heading into the second. So you need that guy. I mean, he's your MVP. I mean, he's he he, he carried – I don't want to say he carried this team. I mean, they have a very good ball club, but he was instrumental uh, – uh, and, and, and in my opinion, I think he's the NL MVP. I mean, so you need your MVP to play like an MVP, just like the Dodgers need their MVP to play like an MVP. Um, you know, one for eight in two games, that's not going to get it done, but uh, hopefully he can turn it around. But I, I think Yelich is the guy there. 802, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Hey, big shocker here. We're going a little bit over on this one. That happens every week. Ira, uh, who are you taking in the World Series? These series are both tied one-to-one. Who is playing in your World Series? I, I, the, I think the Astros. I think the Astros and Dodgers. I think Dodgers will figure out a way. It'll be a repeat of last year, um, and I think it'll be just those two. But I think the Astros. The, what the Astros would like, I think, is to win the series quick, quickly. They want to win, yeah. but also so they can have a Verlander start Game One of the World Series. Yeah. Uh, Sean, what about you? It's one to one. You giving the uh, you giving the Brewers any shot here to upset the Dodgers? What do you think? No, I mean, I mean, I think they have a shot. I mean, they're 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 in the series for a reason. I mean, they're they're a good, well-rounded club. But I think LA just too much firepower uh you know you know with their arms their bats Houston um I think that's I, I think those teams are pretty evenly matched Me I, just, too. I just think and it, and it is just a great series but I just think Houston has a little bit more talent um and especially too with the sale injury the stuff we don't know exactly what's going on no reports have really come out outside that he had to go to the hospital and he's been released but I, I think it's LA and Houston and, and we're yeah. setting it up for another great world yeah. series listen I've had bad Chipotle before I don't miss playoff games so I don't know what's going on with Chris Sale but you got to be a little bit worried if you're a Red Sox fan. Uh, it's 8.03, Iron Sports. Let's switch gear. College football quick. Ira, you were at Penn State versus Michigan State <laughs> this past weekend, and I think we can say Penn State season's over. Um, it was one of the most, I would say, top 10 disappointing losses. I've been to 200 games. It was terrible. Penn State's a 14-point favorite. There's 107,000 people there. It's homecoming, and they were just lost to Ohio State by one. Uh, and they had a two-week layoff, and they came in this game, and they played flat the entire game, and again, at the, could not hold on at the end. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was just a total disaster. And Michigan State was missing six starters, their tailback. They really had a disappointing season. They lost to Arizona State. They almost lost to Utah State. Um, but I, when I saw when I was there before the game, you saw the size of Michigan State. They're huge. 
Like for to be them to be a two point underdog favorite, I didn't think Penn State was a was fourteen points better than. But still, Penn State did not come out to play at all. I, one interesting thing before the game, Mark D'Antonio gets a lot of criticism. The coach of Michigan State, I've never seen a coach do this. He walked every single player on the Michigan State team, every single one of them, and talked to them before the game as they were wow. warming up. I see in the NFL sometimes where people just slap on the back, but he literally went to every single player and almost had a conversation for like two seconds or three seconds, but you just see that he, he every single person, and I think that matters. I mean, and he coached a great game. I mean, that was, uh, that was, uh, um, it was, it was just a, it was a tremendous win for Michigan State. And Penn State just, they, they, it was 14-14, uh, and then Penn State was, you know, was, you know, they missed a field goal to go up 17-14, and then they had to, then they finally got up 17-14 on a, on a field goal. But again, they got down to the goal line, couldn't score, and, uh, uh, and then I thought Penn State was 17-14 near the end of the game, and Michigan State went for uh, a fake field goal on the Penn State 22. I mean, a gutsy call to go for a fake field goal with a couple of minutes to go in the game, and they, and, they, and they missed it. They missed the pass. It was a great play by Penn State to break it up. But then Penn State, with 440 to go, went four plays and out. And then Michigan State punted. And then Penn State, again, another three and out. And then with a minute 10 to go, it's almost like the Steeler game. With a minute 10, when the Steelers had it, they went and they drove down uh, on their own 24 and scored with almost with a touchdown. Uh, Penn State's defense just folded, and they, they lose 21-17. Uh, it was, they, they only left. The smart move was they only left Penn State with 13 seconds left. And again, the smart, what these teams are doing, I think you, you just cannot, and you saw it in the Patriot game, is that when they went down to score, the, they said, we're going to go down, we're going to score, and we're not going to leave the Chiefs any time left. And I, you're going to start seeing this more and more. It's not just score. You've got to not leave the teams any other chance to score. And Penn State had 13 seconds to score at the end. There was not enough time left. Um, but that Penn State's defense... It was, it's a terrible loss because we'll talk about later. Two losses, you're out. You have no shot. And the way everything broke with all the upsets, Penn State would have been sitting at number five this week. Instead, they're number 19 and their season's over. The best example of kneeling on purpose to save time is Maurice Jones-Drew throwing his knee at the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that's something that since that's happened maybe five years ago, teams are changing the end-of-game clock management. We, let's, let's talk about our Final Four next week because a, a lot of things are going to happen. Ira, a ton of upsets this week. What stands out to you the most? Well, I think Georgia losing. I mean, that was crucial. I mean, uh, they were they were the, the the four. You know, we talked about what we'll get to next week. But in terms of how it's all going to break down, but Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson—they're in. They're right now, if the playoffs are tomorrow, there's a hundred percent certainty those are the four teams. Georgia was at that table, and Georgia losing to LSU, thirty-six uh, sixteen. They're out now. They have a chance. They can play their way in, but they're out. They don't. Have, they they have it. I think West Virginia going down to Iowa State. I know Kirk Herbstreit predicted that. But Will Greer was a Heisman Trophy candidate, 11 for 15 for 100 yards and a touchdown. Um, terrible performance in West Virginia. Now they're in the mix. They don't, they don't have a seat at the table. They are going to play out with te- Texas and Oklahoma for the Big 12. And they, they might, you know, I think everyone from the Big 12 is going to have two losses. Oregon, Washington, in overtime, when Washington had a chance to win, Washington now has two losses. Oregon, now the, unless Oregon somehow, they have one loss, they win it, but they have no non-conference victories at all. They played a very easy schedule. Yeah. I think the Pac-12 is out of the, the playoff mix. And Washington was the last hope, I mean, the major hope for them, for them to lose just a tremendous upset. Notre Dame almost lost to Pitt. Yeah. I mean, that would have been uh, a crucial, a uh, horrendous loss. 
But um, and then Miami losing to Virginia, uh, just a terrible performance that we we talked about. They have back some quarterback issues about. there again on sportsmanlike conduct penalties. Uh, when they had Virginia stopped and had a chance to get the ball back, then to have a late hit, and when you have when you actually are going to get the ball back and then and then extend the series, uh, the quarterback play Hunt twelve Rozier was twelve for twenty three for hundred yards, just not a, a good performance from Miami at all. Um, okay, so we'll get more into our final four uh, next week because I do want to hear a lot about this. Any upcoming games before we uh, wrap this thing up that you're looking forward to next week that'll kind of define the picture more. I think, well, the one team, there's a few teams that have everything on their plate. Michigan, right now, if they beat Ohio State, they can get at that table. That four-person table that with Ohio State sitting in there, Michigan can get there. If they beat Ohio State, they have to play Michigan State next week. Now, the whole thing I said about the Big 12, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia, they all, and they all, and Texas, are all have one loss. But I think if they get two losses, whoever gets two losses, you're out. So Oklahoma plays TCU. That should be a big game. Alabama plays at Tennessee. Any game Alabama plays, that's, of course, a big game. The <laughs> biggest game is probably North Carolina State and Clemson. North Carolina State's undefeated. They haven't really played anybody. But if Clemson can lose, this is one of the weeks they possibly could lose. And LSU, had that after that great win, is hosting Mississippi State. They could be primed for an upset on there. And I, I guess the last thing for the, uh, for the Big 12 is Oregon at Washington State. And they both have one loss, but I still think the Pac-12, as I said before, the Pac-12 is probably out of the picture for the playoffs. And we're going to talk about this next week. But I'm telling you, I think Central Florida, I'll show you how, I don't think it's just like a wild, crazy scenario that I think Central Florida might be, not to be one of those final four teams, that they're going to get that seat at the table uh, with the Alabamas, the Ohio State, and Clemson, that Central Florida could be, with just a couple games going the right way for them, could be the uh, fourth team in that, which would be amazing for a non-first time a Power 5 school ever would play for a national championship. I can't wait to hear about all this next week on Ira on Sports here right on the True Oldies channel. It's 810. Before we wrap it up, guys, tonight, kicking off in just about five minutes, San Francisco 49ers visiting the Green Bay Packers. Packers are laying nine and a half points. That's a lot for a Monday night game. Ira, who do you like? Well, I like uh, San Francisco is so hurt. I mean, their yeah. injuries are they, they are they're. I just can't see how they can be competitive in this game. I'm not a big with Packer. the ten points so though. I'll, I'll give you the ten. Great, but also Aaron Rodgers plays great on Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football prime time. So I would, I would, I would lay the points and, and bet the Packers. Sean, can you can you justify nine and a half here? Yeah, I think the Packers blow them out. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actually moving, the the money's moving towards San Fran because about two hours ago it was 10 and a half. So, uh, you know, maybe Vegas is on to something, but I I just don't see it. And and, and the biggest thing is is Green Bay's defense, which they're really not known for, uh, especially over the past uh, uh, few years. Their defense has really started to play well. So um, I I think it's just way too much. Aaron Rodgers is way too much for that defense. Um, But, you know, you could see some junk time uh, touchdowns from San Fran where, you know, Green Bay takes the, the the foot off the gas pedal, so maybe that's what Vegas is seeing. Here. That would be my only worry betting this game. You yep. know, Green Bay's going to win. I'm worried about the foot off the gas yeah, at the that, end with the spec, uh, speculative defense. CJ Beatard yep. maybe putting something together to, to bring them within ten, but I'm not counting. Mike, on it. Mike, and also and yep. also next week on Monday Night Football is the Giants. <laughs> so again, they're getting down prime time. Uh, the, the train wreck that everyone can watch. Uh, they're at Atlanta. So Who are the Giants? Next month, that's next week's Monday Night Game. The Giants are. 
dead to me, Ira. I can't wait to not talk about them next week on Ira on Sports. God, they're so bad. But let's look forward to Green Bay maybe cementing a little bit of what the NFC North is going to look like tonight versus the 49ers. We are out of time. Ira, I want to thank you so much for popping in all the way from Cincinnati or wherever you are in between State College and there. Sean LaGrega, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.